0: All right, let's pray. Lord, we come and we worship you as our great God and our great Savior. Lord, we lift up to you our hearts that they may worship you and you receive our worship with all that is due your name. That you would be glorified through our singing, our hearing, our praying, our thinking, and our giving. Because Lord, we want to extol you as the greatest and best of all beings, God. It's easy, especially in a week like we've had, to get our mind and our heart and all off of the focus of you even though there is much being said about you but with the needs that people have and the uncertainty of this time in this place where we live we ask that your blessing would be upon us lord and that we might be able to have your thoughts in our mind and be able to glorify you As we live throughout the week, God, looking to you, loving you, not being distracted by the many things that are going on here, Lord, but instead allowing you to lead, guide, shape our heart and our thinking so that we might be good and effective ministers in your name in our community, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. I thought as I was reading the passage I was going to pick up in Hebrews this week, that it might be appropriate, though, to just address how do we as Christians react to the fires around us, the situation around us, so many people having lost their homes and their jobs. What, what we see so much outpouring of help right now in this Um, critical moment. It's easy to look at that and see that as being good works and being the thing that we ought to be doing, and I'm not saying it isn't. But there is something within what's going on in our community that, although it is helpful, is not distinctly Christian. Everybody from all different types of backgrounds and viewpoints, are coming out to help, and that's a good thing, and we should be glad that we can see that Imago Dei, that image of God within people expressing itself in goodwill. It gives you a little bit of faith in humanity, doesn't it? (laughs) But somebody told me this week as we were talking about this that this is a lot like the grieving process. Is In the moment of acute grief when something tragic happens, there's a response of, I have to do something. And you do and you do and you do and you do. And then after some time goes by, other emotions begin to set in like anger and frustration and resentment and bitterness. And it takes a long time to truly recover from the grieving process. And we as a community are going to be going through it. I've already seen it this week. I've already heard people say... There's so much more traffic here in Chico now. With all of these evacuees, I just can't stand driving. That's probably true. I have noticed an uptick in the amount of driving and poor drive. Well, it's probably not poor. It's unfamiliar with the city is probably more what it is. So when we come to this issue, especially as good, Bible-believing, reformed Christians... We want to come to this issue not as an emotional knee-jerk reaction, right? We don't want to come to this issue and be like, all right, well, I'll just give them all my clothes and I'll do all this. That's not bad. If that's what the Lord lays on your heart, certainly we want to be doing those kinds of things. For us as a church, I'm going to tell you right now, we have decided to wait to provide any kind of help and support because there's so much going on in the community right now. We know that six months from now, most of this help is going to be gone and a lot of these people are still going to be here. And what is going to happen then? One of the things I've learned in my Rotary experience, and they're doing a similar thing, is they're waiting... For all of this immediate Red Cross, FEMA, you know, acute kind of aid to leave and go away. And then there's going to be all kinds of opportunities for us to meet needs. That's what we're doing as a church. We're trying to be wise about this. And actually see where help is going. Whereas now it's kind of crazy and chaotic. So why do we make a decision like that? I believe it's because that we desire to have a reformed understanding of tragedy. There is such a thing. A reformed understanding of tragedy. Now I have heard all throughout this week about people's houses still standing and people saying, oh, that's maybe not using this word, but the idea is it's providential. But providence... ...happened when all of the other houses burned as well. That was also providential. Providence is not only the good things that happen... ...but everything that happens. If it doesn't happen, it's not providential. If it does, it's providential. So, while I understand the sentiment behind... ...some people being glad that their places of... ...you know, their homes are still standing... ...their places of business are still standing... (laughs) We can't look at, with rhyme and reason and say God was particularly favoring this over this. We can say safely that God lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust alike. And that is an attitude of blessing. But also with that, we would see natural acts of disaster having a similar effect. It happens to the just and the unjust alike. This week... No, I'll save that one. How do we look at this? So I wrote down four things as I was thinking this week and trying to process this. I had other things that I'm trying to tether them together in my thoughts to just give a few things to help you, as it were, hang your hat on. I'm not assuming all four of these things are going to be impactful for you and how you wrestle with what we're going through mentally and emotionally and spiritually. But one of these or two of these hopefully will be a point that resonates with you in your soul when we talk about these issues. Because all of us know many people that have been affected by this. And they're not going to go away anytime soon. And so how do we minister to them effectively? And how do we think through this biblically? First of all, we have to acknowledge... Number one, God is sovereign. First thing, God is sovereign. If we don't acknowledge that first thing right off the bat, then we're prone to all manner of problematic thinking and acting down the road. If we do believe and do understand and truly trust God in His sovereignty, that He is in control of absolutely everything that happens, including things that, for me, make my mind wrestle a little bit, I have a good foundation to stand on, because at the end of the day, I know God is much more good than I am, much more holy than I am, much more true than I am, much more right than I am, and ultimately, even towards those people who lost their possessions much more loving than I could ever be as well. He is sovereign and he is in control of everything and he knows far better about what is going on than I do and it behooves me not only as a Christian but as a breathing existing human with the image of God within me to trust in God's sovereignty in all things including tragedy. Biblically, do we see this? That's the thing we need to ask with all four of these items I'm bringing up. Biblically, do we see this taking place? Because if we do, then we have certainly the right ground upon which to move forward. First of all, we do. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. And most of you who have ever thought through these issues before, some of these texts are not going to be a surprise to you at all. But if you know the story of Job, then you know that he was a man who was upright in the way he lived his life, he was upright in the way he lived before the Lord, he was truly a man who feared the Lord, and in doing that, one day he drew the attention of Satan himself and Satan and God came to an odd agreement, I will grant, but God is sovereign and he is right and good. So he allowed this to take place for his glory. When we say God is sovereign, what we're saying is God does whatever he does for his own glory. God allows Job to go through what he goes through for God's glory. God allows what goes on in our daily lives for his glory. God allows tragedy and blessing. All of it comes all for his own glory. That's what's at stake. Satan comes to God and accuses God and says, your glory is at stake because you are treating Job better than everybody else. Because of all that he does for you. You're blessing him, so therefore he's the good guy that he is. You see, he's calling God's integrity into question. And God says, okay, that's what's at stake. Let's actually see. And of course, God knows the ends from the beginning and allows Satan permission to wipe out everything that he has. A similar situation to what some people who we know have gone through. Their li- their families, some of them have been lost. Their houses have been destroyed. Their property is all gone. And at the end of all of it, Job has the particular distinction of not having only lost material goods and family, but he has also lost his health in the midst of this tragedy that he's going through. And in the middle of that, his wife comes to him and requests of him to just curse God and die. Job, with wisdom and a heart that truly does love the Lord, he falls down on the ground and he worships. And in verse 21 of chapter 1, it says, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. God gives. God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible's commentary is, Job didn't sin when he said this. Now, you might be familiar with a certain, I think it's a Matt Redman song, that has this in the refrain. The Lord gives and takes away. The Lord gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In fact, I think the song's called Blessed be the name of the Lord, if I'm not wrong. I remember a worship leader that I knew many, many, many years ago when the song first came out refused to sing that because he didn't believe this was true, that he did believe that this was a sinful thing for Job to say. And I think if people are honest, that there are a lot of people who would name the name of Christ, profess the name of Christ who really struggle with the ramifications of what this text is actually saying. Because what this is saying is Job is acknowledging nothing is mine. None of this was mine. Not my property, not my animals, not my family. None of it. It was all God's. God gave to me his own possessions, allowed me to steward these possessions. He took them back to himself. Blessed be his name. I have no claim upon God in saying, why did you do this to me? Because it's all God's from the very beginning. This is why it's not sin for Job to say this, because he rightly understands the sovereignty of God in all things. In every single thing that happens, God is in control. For me, when I'm talking with somebody and I want them to begin to understand the position that I hold theologically, in fact, I remember one time sitting over in the parking lot of Home Depot on the back of the bed of a truck that I used to have, and I was talking with a guy and we were watching the cars go by on the freeway. And I told him, that car goes by, that car goes by all by the sovereignty of God. The reason that car wasn't back there is because God wanted it there. It blew his mind. And I said, and it's not just that. It's everything. Every single thing is under God's sovereign control. Every single thing. We live with the illusion of autonomy. We live with the illusion that we just do whatever we want, however we want, whenever we want, why we want. But it's not the case. We live under the sovereign authority, rule, and reign of God. And so the very first thing we do when we come to the midst of tragedy is we have to come to the words of Job and throw our arms up, fall down before the Lord and worship Him and say, God gives, God takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. The second thing that we want to consider is we want to consider in light of God's sovereignty, Our own situation. Our own situation. In fact, Jesus talks about this specific issue in relation to a natural disaster in Luke chapter 13. So look at Luke chapter 13 with me, if you will. It's one of these instances where Jesus has asked a pertinent question, and it's, it's not quite clear, although it's implied, I think, in Jesus' answer that they were kind of trying to do one of these trickies, right, where they're trying to say something and get him to say something that would uh, bring blame upon himself, you know what I mean? But Jesus, of course, he's not only far too clever for that, but he is much wiser than any of his accusers, even collectively, were together. Well, they come and they ask him a question, and they told him about some Galileans who were worshipping there at the temple, and they were offering their sacrifices. We don't know the details of what happened, but apparently soldiers came and killed the worshippers And their blood was mingled with the blood of their own sacrifices. And they were appalled about that. I mean, rightly so. That's pretty horrific, if you're thinking about it. What do we do with that? Jesus, what do you do with that? Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? You see, he's, the implication, he, he reads their presupposition, right? Their presupposition is they must be really bad sinners if that happened to them. They didn't say it, but that was implied by their question. Jesus says, no, I tell you. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, Jesus could have stopped there, and it would have been an absolute perfect answer. It would have been exactly answered the question that they were addressing. But Jesus goes a step further, and I think that this is important for us today, because he then takes a natural disaster, not something that an atrocity somebody committed, but just something that happened in the course of a day that was a tragic situation. Verse four, Jesus says, "Or those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So Jesus says, the manner of a person's death, the manner of a tragedy that befalls a person, does not in any way communicate the character of that person. All it does is tell you the event that happened. Jesus' words are, don't think that you are better off or even worse off, we might even say, than all of these other people who have these tragedies go on. Instead, you take account of your own soul. What we should do as Christians is when we see tragedy like this befall people around us who we know who are close to us, who, I mean, really close to us in lots of ways, the first thing after we acknowledge the sovereignty of God is to take a good hard look at our own soul and our own self and see, Lord, am I right with you? Is my heart right with you? Because I am not granted tomorrow. God doesn't owe me tonight. God doesn't owe me a Tuesday. I have right now in this moment. And Jesus' words here indicate to me that tragedy, whether it's at the hands of other people or a natural disaster, is God grabbing me by my shirt and shaking me around and getting me in my face and saying, Are you right with me? You don't have any confidence in another day, another breath, another hour. How are you with the Lord right now? It causes us to go, Lord, either I'm so thankful that you have died and saved me from my sins, or it gives us a point of reference by which we can say, thank God you're alive. Have you considered your eternal state? Have you considered the fact that you still have breath? God is sovereign and he has not taken your life. Where are you at right now? I have taken account of my own self and am thankful that the Lord has saved me. It gives us a witnessing opportunity. Now, definitely we want to be sensitive in how we do this and approach this. It doesn't mean we go stand on the street corner with signs, you know, saying repent or you'll perish. But what we want to do is our interactions with those people who certainly have lost things. We want to communicate to them, repent or you'll perish. Praise God he didn't take your life in that fire. I am so grateful to the Lord that you are still here. Praise God. Now consider God and consider your need for him. And if you do know him, then let's worship him together that our lives have been saved by him. The first thing we want to do is acknowledge God's sovereignty. The second thing that we want to do is consider our own depravity, our own sin, our own need for the Lord. The third thing we want to do is we want to have compassion on others. We want to have compassion on others. (laughs) <laughs> this week, um, I'm ah, I'm gonna try not to tear up. <laughs> Met with a guy Tuesday before the fire, his dad died. Thursday the fire happened, and <clears throat> he raced down the hill, and they he found out the day he talked to me that he had in fact lost everything and. When they came down the hill, his wife said he wasn't, she wasn't feeling good and he took her to the hospital and she never came out. And he sat with me over there and we talked for hours. We talked for hours because he just needed somebody to talk to because he didn't have anybody else to turn to right then. And we talked and we cried together and i listened to his stories i listened to him tell me about his wife and how wonderful they was and how the trips that they took together and the experiences they had with each other and all probably 3 quarters of the way through our several hour long hours long conversation he grabbed me by the shoulders and he looked me in the eye and he said pat All you have is your relationships. Nothing else is yours. All you have are your relationships. And you told me, go home, hug your wife. Hug your kids. Think about the people who you love and invest your time in those relationships. I you know I may, I wonder if something similar was going on in Paul's mind in 2 Corinthians 1 because he he starts off this letter in a way that he doesn't really start off any of his other letters. This is a letter that he's going to go on and vigorously defend his integrity. To the point of embarrassment. He actually is embarrassed that he has to go so far in defending himself later on in the book. But he doesn't start out there. He starts out in the realm of interpersonal relationships. And he says this in verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of mercies, and He's the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also will share in our comfort. Comforting others. Having compassion on others. This is the realm where we see the world around us acting right now. This is the realm where we see a lot of energy, a lot of time, and a lot of money being poured into right now. But at this point, I hope you see the distinct difference between the way we would and will act and the way the world acts. We are acting from a foundation of the sovereignty of God, understanding our own depravity, worshiping him in all of his goodness because he owes us nothing, and therefore from that position, moving forward to help other people and engage them in a way that is not just altruistic, but in a way that brings glory and honor to God. You see, when we help as Christians, the way that it is distinct, how does a Christian help in a distinct way? We do it as an act of worship. We help as an act of worship. Now, other people are helping, and they're helping out of the motivation of just simple humanitarianism or altruism. People are being helped. And the reason why, because it doesn't make sense if people are naturalistic or if people are just simply nominal or whatever they are. If they don't have a strong, robust theological foundation, then they're living inconsistently. Now, thank goodness they are, right? Praise God for the inconsistency of Chico, California. Praise God for the inconsistency of so many people in this community that are pouring out help and help and help and help. But what we want to do is be wise and be consistent and comfort people with the comfort we receive from the Lord. So we all have suffered to various degrees in our lives. We've all lost certain things and people in our lives. (laughs) We've gone through those experiences, according to Paul here, so that we can, from that position of gratitude to the Lord, from His comfort towards us, there go out and be able to help other people. So, when I go and get gift cards for people and I go hand them to somebody, I'm doing the very same action physically that somebody else is doing, and many people are doing all over the city of Chico, whereas my action has a different motivation, therefore has an eternal weight and reward, whereas their one single action only helps right now and in the moment. You see, we have an eternal perspective. They have this perspective of here and now. The best they can possibly ever do is alleviate your little bit of suffering in this moment, whereas the best we can do is we can glorify and honor God Almighty. Vastly different. And so when we come to the issues and the calls to help, we want to make sure that we're mindful and helping in the right way, in the right mindset of an act of worshipping God Almighty. And we want to see those people who we're handing the gift cards to or donating the coats to or giving the tents to or the toothpaste to or whatever it is, the ends of that should not be just here your teeth are going to be cleaned for the next week and a half. The end of that needs to be God Almighty is sovereign and glorious. Consider your need and worship him. Because you still have breath to do that. Because that's what we are doing. We want to point them to the Lord. We want to point them to Christ. And we want to give them a hope. The last thing Here, first of all, acknowledging God's sovereignty. Secondly, considering our own need. Thirdly, having compassion on others. And finally, longing for heaven or longing for restoration. Look, the reason why this is a tragedy is because this is not the way things are supposed to be. I didn't intend that to rhyme, but it did. So maybe that's helpful. This is not the way things are supposed to be. Death is not the way things are supposed to be. Wildfires are not the way things are supposed to be. <clears throat> From the very beginning of creation, we see that it was created pure and an absolute right harmony within the ecology that existed in Eden. Eden. Everything was in perfect harmony with each other. There was no death, no more pain. There was no death, there was no pain. There was no suffering. It was, in the best sense of the word, bliss. But Paul, in Romans chapter 8, he says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 19 says, For creation even eagerly longs for the revealing of us as the sons of God. Why? Because then creation is restored as well. Verse 20, For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, Adam, who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free From the bondage to decay to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies, and in this hope were we saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? No, we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. We groan inwardly. We grieve rightly. It is a true and a accurate thing for us to experience pain when these bad things happen we should grieve with those who grieve weep with those who weep mourn with those who mourn we should have that sense of compassion and empathy and the reason that we do is because we know this isn't the way it's supposed to be but someday it's going to be restored it will be righted It will be made back again to the way in which it was intended to be from the beginning. We eagerly long our own redemption and creation longs for our redemption as well because then creation will be redeemed right along with it. That's our focus. I want to see paradise and Berry Creek and Concow Megalia, Honey Run, all rebuilt. I want to see thriving communities again. I would love to go back up and and work back up there again. I hope someday maybe I get we'll get the chance to do that. But that's not the end, you see. I certainly want those to be restored and. I want to be a part of the effort to help restore those things. But in the long run, my hope lies in another place, because my citizenship is not here as a Chaconian, is that the right word? Butte Countyan, a Californian, or an American. My citizenship is in heaven. My hope is in heaven. And I long for the day where I get to be home and be with the Lord. And all of these things that are dark and heavy and aren't the way they're supposed to be here on this world are completely restored and done away with. And we will be worshiping him in the way that we were originally created and intended to face to face. God being our God and we being his people. I long for that day where we're in heaven and there's no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more any of this stuff that's the way it is here on this earth. Creation groans for it. We long for it too. So beloved, as you go out through this week and you, you go and you're going to interact with so many different people. The encouragement for you is to, as you go from here, pray about these things. Lord, may I acknowledge your sovereignty in all things. Lord, help me to wrestle with my own mortality and my own nature as a sinner. Lord, and in light of those two things, give me a compassionate set of eyes. That when I see other people, I see them through the filter of compassion and mercy and grace. And not a grace that's just altruistic, but a grace like I've received from you that I might worship you as I give it back. And all of this, Lord, I want to do looking forward to the day where I'm home with you in heaven. Amen. Lord. Tragedies like the one that we have are and will continue to experience, Lord, here in our community. They're not rare, but they happen infrequently enough that they shock us when they do, and rightly so. Lord, for us as Christians, I pray, Lord, that we would be shocked and shaken into a healthy and biblical way of thinking. And then, because of the way we're thinking, that we're able to, from that place, go out and act in a way that is befitting of you as our great God and great Lord of all. So, take these passages that we've looked at tonight. Take your word and apply it to our hearts, Lord. And may we be a blessing and an honor to our community around us as we worship you through the help that we provide. Always praying, always loving, and always grateful for you, Jesus, our Lord and Savior.